I, I think I say it every single year that my, that, that my favorite secular holiday is Thanksgiving. Now, my favorite of all holidays is Resurrection Sunday. I, I, I love the reminder that our Christ has risen from the dead. Uh, the, the second favorite, of course, is Christmas. Um, but my first secular favorite is Thanksgiving. Actually, that's my, yeah, is my, is my favorite. And it's not because of the food. I'm not real, a real big, big fan of turkey. That's why we're having Italian food this, this morning, this afternoon. Um, I like the gravy that goes with the turkey, so I always have enough gravy to enhance the turkey a little bit. But, but the reason I like it is because it, it forces us to stop and to pause and to consider what, what Isaac just talked about, uh, Isaac, Zach talked about just a minute ago. Uh, if, if any people in all the world have reason to be thankful, the, the saint, the, the Christian, the, the follower of Christ who has been saved by grace through faith is to be above all thankful and grateful to him. And so I appreciate this time of the year that leads us into the celebration of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we were at a good breaking point in our study in the book of 1 John. We we're about to, to test the spirits in 1 John chapter 4, but, but we're going to put a pause on that for the month of December, and we'll pick up on it in January, because I want to begin Advent early. And so we're going to have two weeks in advance, and we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving and the the heart of gratitude for who Christ is and what he has done on our behalf. And I, I thought the, the best place to begin would be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where it says, In every circumstance give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And um, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning, in these three verses beginning, first of all, in verse number 16. Would you join me in reading these three verses, and then we'll go to the Lord and we'll ask for his help in in, um, not only understanding these truths, but applying it in our lives. The Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice! Always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Our dear Heavenly Father, we we are thankful to you that you have given us the minds that we have to be able to read passages such as this and to be able to understand it, to comprehend what is being said. Lord, our desire is to see it through the eyes of our spirit that has been opened up by your spirit. And we ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would illumine our eyes that we might not only see the exhortations on the page, but that in seeing the exhortations on the page, we would see Christ. That we would see who we are in Christ and 
see his life in us as these disciplines are carried out in day-to-day life. Help us to fully grasp and to apply the truth that those of us who are in Christ have been crucified with Christ. We, have, we, we, we die daily. We have been put to death to our own self, to our own autonomy. And the life that we now live is not our own life, but we live the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in the one who has given his life on our behalf. Lord, may that be a reality in us. Lord, apply your word to our particular circumstance in life, wherever our hearts may be, Lord, you, you know the matters of our hearts and you know those areas that need to be addressed and we trust that you will address those areas and that you would um, bring us into conformity with your son that you might be glorified in us, you might be glorified through us as we leave this place this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I, I want to, I, I think the, these three verses um, lays itself out pretty simply and easily for us, but, but I, I wanted us to kind of un- unwrap it just a little bit in light of the teaching of the New Testament, now, although you can find many different texts in the Old Testament that speak of our rejoicing. We read a few this morning from, from the book of Psalms. But I, I wanted to just consider some of these things, especially this first one, it, it, as it deals with the, the matter of rejoicing. This exhortation or this uh, uh, imperative, this command that Paul gives to us is written at the latter part of this letter to the church of Thessalonica. Uh, In this letter, there's very little negative things that are said about them. This was a church that received the teaching of the Apostle Paul as the word of God, not as a word of men, but they received it in the midst of much affliction. If you remember in the book of Acts, uh, it gives the account of when Paul arrived in Thessalonica. He arrived coming from Philippi, and in Philippi, he was persecuted and imprisoned because of his preaching of Jesus Christ. And he actually came limping into town, uh, beaten because of the preaching of Jesus Christ. And in like fashion, or in, in fashion as you would expect of the Apostle Paul, as he is limping, limping into town, he continues to preach Jesus Christ. And, and the people, by the grace of God, heard the gospel. And by the power of the gospel, they came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they trusted him as their savior. And so in this letter, he is encouraging them uh, of what God has, has and what God was doing in their midst and the testimony of God's grace that was spoken of throughout the region. In the midst of his, his encouragement, he, he pleads with them to uh, live a life that was pleasing before the Lord. And in these closing words, it's almost as though uh, he is ready to finish out his letter, but he remembers all these shotgun different things he wants to remind them of. Um, uh, the different things that we think of when, when we say goodbye to someone, all these last minute things, say, say, say hi to Kelly, or, or kiss, your, kiss your, your son for us, or give your, uh, them a hug, all these last minute things, or watch where you're going, and be careful you go out, all those things. It's almost what we would, we would, he, we would see that when we read this, and because of that, we would read through it often very, very rapidly, and we would not pause to think through this exhortation to rejoice always 
is important for us to consider and, and to, to pause just a little bit this morning because it's not limited only to this passage in the New Testament. In, it, in its noun form, which is what we have, this is in the, in the verb form, it, it is to rejoice, but in the noun form, it's simply joy. You, you have this internal joy, and it's a common thread that runs throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. And Paul's use of the word always, as with the prayer, with prayer and giving thanks, those two other words of exhortation, it indicates that it is not dictated by circumstances. You, you, you can pick that up immediately, right? Um, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in every circumstance, give thanks. These commands are not, these commands of, of discipline in our lives to do these things, they are not dictated by circumstances nor does it denote only a feeling or expression of joy, but it is, an, it is an action that one chooses. Rejoice, that's a command. Rejoice, give thanks, that is a command. So rejoicing, I think, can be used when you read through the scriptures. It, it can be used in a positive way, such as 1 Corinthians 13.6, that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And it can be used in a negative way, such as Revelation 11.10. Uh, Those who dwell on the earth uh, will rejoice over them. Uh, these were the, the two witnesses that were killed. They rejoice over them and they make merry and exchange presents because those two prophets had been a torment. So there's the positive and the negative. Um, Jesus' disciples were instructed to rejoice when they were persecuted. Uh, and believers are to rejoice as they share in the sufferings of Christ. And while the world may rejoice now, and, and this really is an important thing we'll come back to again, while the world may rejoice now, when Jesus returns, the disciples, they will rejoice with the Lord or in the presence of the Lord. Uh, Paul exhorts believers to rejoice in the Lord in Philippians chapter 3. And again, there, there in, the, in the emphasis, the, the, the emphasis um, that joy or rejoicing is the appropriate response to what God has done and a trust in what God is doing. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, suggests that the believers who are at Philippi need extra encouragement to choose to rejoice, as Paul says it twice. Uh, the, the, the emphasis that this rejoicing is in the Lord implies a gratitude for what God has done for them. Um, hours before Jesus was arrested and then tried and crucified, he pulled his disciples aside. Remember in the upper room, they were together where he washed their feet. They partook of the Last Supper. They, 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 he initiated, or he initiated the, the Lord's table. 
he left with them and they went to the garden where he prayed. But on the way there, and this is um, uh, the, 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 the limb version of what transpires, but as they're making their way to the garden, they, they pass this vineyard. And Jesus uses this opportunity to instruct his disciples. And he tells them, I am the true vine. And that he's referring to Isaiah chapter 5, where he speaks of the vineyard. I am the true vine of Israel. My father is the husbandman. He's the, the vine keeper. But you are the branches. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in me, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so he instructs them. And at the closing of that chapter, or closing of that discourse, he, he, he warns them that because they belong to him, because he had, had called them and set them apart to himself, and that they carried the name of Christ, that they too would face persecution. And he said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you as well. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you as well. But right in the middle of that, right in the middle of that, he says, these things have I said unto you that your joy might be full. He is encouraging them that they will find joy not in their circumstances, but in him and in their life in him. The Apostle John's first letter, the, 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 the book that we're studying right now, begins with the statement, we are writing these things so that our or that your joy may be complete or might be full. We look at this concept or this discipline of rejoicing always, and we look at this passage and we understand that rejoicing always is the will of God. Often young people and sometimes middle-aged and older people also ask, how do I know God's will? Well, the good place to start in finding God's will is to go to God's word because there are several occasions where it says this is the will of God. For example, in chapter 4 of this very book, it says this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Here, he says, rejoicing always is the will of God. This is God's will for you that you would rejoice. I, I don't believe that we would be an error in any way to say that the scriptures teach the, the Christian life is to be a life lived in joy. That is the Christian life. That is how it is intended to be lived. It is, to be in, it is intended to be lived in the joy of the Lord. As a matter of fact, I would argue, and you grammarians may correct me, Later, not now, because it's going to mess up my outline if you do. The, the, the closing words of this sentence, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, applies to giving thanks, praying always, uh, praying without ceasing, and rejoicing always. This is God's will. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Who is you? The body of Christ, those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice two things from the passage. First of all, while joy is a state of being, 
rejoicing or rejoice, the command to rejoice, is a choice to make. So Paul here is exhorting to make the choice to rejoice. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it does. To make the choice to rejoice. Always. Second of all, I want you to notice that just as Philippians 4.4, when he exhorts to rejoice in the Lord, Paul informs us that rejoicing is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The emphasis being the Christian's union with Christ. The believer is to choose to rejoice in view of his new life in Christ. Now consider what this entails. The believer, by God's grace, because it's not normal, it is supernatural that the believer or that the saint or that anyone would rejoice Always. Now, I think, you, I think you understand really clearly that when we talk about joy, we're not talking about being happy all the time. Never trust anybody that's happy all the time. But he's talking about that inward joy that comes from above and comes from within by the grace of God. So the believer, by God's grace, through the ministry of the Spirit, chooses by faith to take his eyes off of his circumstances and to put them upon Christ. Always. Now, how do you practice and how do you prepare for when life becomes dark? Well, the best way to prepare is to set your minds on Christ when things are going well and rejoice in him. The believer, by God's grace, through the ministry of the Spirit, chooses by faith to take his eyes off of his circumstances and to put them on Christ. The believer, by God's grace, through the ministry of the Spirit, chooses by faith to trust in the sovereign hand of God toward Christ and his own. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of trusting that God is not only sovereign, but that he is good and that he is kind. The believer, by God's grace, through the ministry of the Spirit, chooses by faith to trust the kindness and the faithfulness of God toward Christ and his own. The believer, by God's grace, through the ministry of the Spirit, chooses by faith to put aside the temporal nature of this world to live his life toward eternity. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up treasures for yourself in this world where, where rust and moth might corrupt and where thieves might break in and steal, but set your treasures or um, uh, build your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust will corrupt and, and, um, and uh, robbers or thieves will not break in to steal. It is an in incorruptible inheritance that we set our hearts and our minds upon. Now, that is what we ought to do, because that is what we are commanded to do. And we do so by the grace of God. We do so through the ministry of God's Spirit, and we do so by 
faith. But the truth is, often, what we ought to do is one thing, and what we actually do consistently is another. And I think in this passage, there are at least three practical things that Paul speaks of that God has given that can help us, that can help you to choose to rejoice and therefore live a life of joy in Christ as you trek through this world. And I want to look at those three things very, very quickly, actually. I think the first thing that God provides for us that helps us to rejoice always is, first of all, the body of Christ. You might say, well, where did you get that? And my answer is, from the text. That's what the text says. Our general habit of reading the scriptures um, is to read it personally as it applies to us as individuals. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but that's not always the best. The bulk of the New Testament was written in the context of the local church. Those letters that we, this letter to Thessalonica was written to a local church. Can you guess where that local church was located? In Thessalonica. Can you guess where the book of Romans was written to? To the local assembly in Rome, right? So it's written in the context of a local assembly. Now, this does not mean that your salvation isn't a personal matter. It is a personal matter. It's not a private matter, but it is a personal matter in that if you confess your you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for every, every one, every person, every individual who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved or that every one of us will give an account of himself to the Lord. However, much of the New Testament might be better interpreted or understood corporately instead of individually. I just want to call your attention to that, to be, be careful in how you, how you read the Scriptures. And such is the case in our passage this morning. So back in, look, in, look down in your own Bibles. We're in the same chapter. I'm going to just back, have you back up to, to verse number 12. It's just a couple of verses before what we've already read. I want you to read it again with me. And as we read it, I want you to notice to whom it is written. We ask you, brothers to respect those who labor among you and those who are over you in the Lord and those who admonish you. And I, I ask you, brothers, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then our text, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, admittedly, the corporate aspect is much more evident in verses 12 through 15 than it is in our passage this morning, but nevertheless, it is in fact written that way. It is written to the church. This means that the act of rejoicing always 
praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all circumstances is for the local church, is for the local assembly. And so we have to ask ourselves, in what way are these exhortations to be exercised in the church? And I'd like to propose, I'd like to suggest that, the, that, that these three things, this rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, encompass one small aspect of the ministry of the body of Christ in provoking one another to love and good works. This is how you can provoke one another to love and good works, by encouraging one another to rejoice always, by encouraging one another to pray without ceasing, by encouraging one another to give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what the circumstances they may be. So as you minister and as you, as you fellowship with one another, as you are involved in one another's lives, your role in provoking them to love and to good works is whatever circumstances they may be facing, no matter what things that they're going through, that you would be an encouragement to always set their sights above. That's the work of the body of Christ. That's why we gather together. I mean that whether we it be in our weekly corporate gathering as we have this morning or in the one-on-one -on -one ministry among the saints throughout the week, we cultivate relationships that encourage these practices by word and by example. It means that, 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 it means that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. It means that when life is abundant and full, we provoke one another to give God the glory for the fullness and for their abundance. But when life is broken and empty, we provoke one another to give God the glory for that brokenness and for that emptiness. It's the work of the body of Christ. It's the work of brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an act of love toward one another. Brothers and sisters... God, in Christ, has called you unto himself, and he has given to you the body of Christ. The church that is made up of every man, woman, and child who has, by God's grace, been brought to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, this church, he has given, among other things, to pastors and teachers. He has given to us the ordinances, and he has given to us the one another responsibilities to every saint. And, and it is only in the local assembly that any of these things can be carried out. Your pastors are called to shepherd the flock that is among us. We have not been called to shepherd the flock of South Dakota. We have been called to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. The ordinances are to be observed, that is the Lord's table, are to be observed when we come together, according to Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 11. Practicing the one another's is pretty difficult to do when there's no other. 
And there are many one another's in the Bible. Look in your concordance, concordance of your Bible sometime, not now, but sometime, and you would discover. I mean, I listed just a few here. Um, we are to instruct one another. We are to welcome one another. We are to greet one another. We are to care for one another. We are to serve one another. We are to live in harmony with one another. We are to love one another. And it goes on. So according to the Bible, the Christian life cannot be lived out fully in isolation from brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another. If you desire a life lived in the joy of the Lord, it must be lived in the context of brothers and sisters in Christ. In this passage, there are there there in this passage we, we see this very first provision that God has given to us that we might know this joy of the Lord. The second thing that the Lord has given us to live in the joy of the Lord is his very presence. Verse number 17. Pray without ceasing. Now, on Wednesday evening, we have Awana clubs. That's a kids' club uh, that ranges from little to not so little. Um, and in our in our middle middle age kids, Isaac has been teaching um, the the attributes of God to our Awana TNT kids. It's, it's a wonderful teaching. If you want to learn some good theology, come on Wednesday evening and and listen for about thirty minutes of of Isaac's teaching on the attributes of God. And perhaps up the better term would be the perfections of, of God. But this past week, Isaac uh, was teaching on the, um, or he was explaining the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. The transcendence of God mean, means that he is, he is outside of creation. He is beyond the reach of creation. But at the same time, we believe in the imminence of God, that he is the nearness of God, that he has made himself known to creation. He, he, and he does so of his own volition. Um, he could have uh, kept himself apart from the world, and um, we could not, we, he could have made it where we, could have, we would never have known him. But it is because of his willingness to make himself known that we have the gift of prayer. And this concept of praying without ceasing, it carries the idea of what theologians would call quorum deo. That's the Latin term that literally, literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. It means to live, to live quorum deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God under authority of God, to the glory of God. Praying without ceasing refers to the ongoing communication and communion with God. Now, we know that there are seasons of prayer, uh, and there are times of prayer throughout the day where we set aside a period of time during the day, I would trust that you would do, do so, that you would spend alone with God in his word and in prayer that you would be able to pour your heart out to him. But the praying without ceasing is a condition of life, is a condition of the heart of living in his presence, of an ongoing moment by moment communication and communion with God. Praying without ceasing is living in God's presence. Now that and just to state the obvious, that doesn't mean we're walking around like this all the time with our eyes closed. That, that's not the picture that you have there. 
but is the understanding of his presence. And it doesn't mean that you're always talking. In fact, maybe we should talk less. One of, the, one of the many, many, many things that I love about the relationship that God has given to Kelly and me is that we enjoy silence even when we are in each other's presence. And I, I, I shared this, this, this with you before, but, but we, we can jump in the car to run up to Rapid to do whatever we're going to do, and we can drive from our driveway all the way up to Rapid City and not say a single word. Some of you are in awe. <laughs> and yet, both of us will have in our hearts and our minds, and sometimes verbalize it, man, I really have enjoyed spending the day with you. Why? Because it's not necessarily just that verbal communication. It's being in the presence of. There, there is alone. I can be at home alone. And to some degree, I can enjoy that. But there is an idea of a concept of being alone with Kelly. And I love that. I, I think that I see that as a gift of God. I am grateful for that. But I think that gives us a picture of, our, of this, I, this, this gift that God has given us to, to be able to live in his presence. This transcendent God has given you prayer, has given you the ability to live in his presence and so that you can pray instantaneously. You can verbalize a concern you have immediately or you can just be in his presence. You can be there. But, but this, is, this is the idea that we would have here that, or this is the provision that God has given to us that would help us to live in a life full of the joy of the Lord. It is a gift of God. And as you grow in this discipline, you will be more aware that, that God is near, even during the periods of life when it seems that he is not. Even when he seems to be silent, you can know that he is there. When your life is turned upside down, and it, there are seasons of life where that is true. When your life is turned upside down, you will know his presence. You will be able, without fail, to pour out your heart knowing that he is near, that he hears, and that he is working according to his purposes. You will know, because you have been living quorum Deo, that his purposes are perfect. You will know that even in your darkest hour, that you can rejoice in the Lord. The first thing that the Lord provides for you to live in the joy of the Lord is the body of Christ. The second is his very presence. The third is the grace to give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. Just like the command to rejoice always, the command to give thanks in all circumstances, speak not so much about a feeling of the affections, rather giving thanks in all circumstances is a choice. It is an act of faith. Give thanks. Lord, thank you. It is verbalizing a gratitude even if you don't necessarily feel thankful. Here, Paul is not exhorting the saint to feel thankful. 
he plainly says and instructs us to give thanks. And this is because thankfulness and gratitude is a matter of the heart. If you read through the New Testament, you would learn, you would know, and you probably already know this, that thanklessness, ingratitude, is a trait of unbelievers. But thankfulness is a characteristic or is a trait of those who have been saved by grace through faith. For the Christian, giving thanks, even when the circumstances are difficult, is an act of faith. And God grants us the grace to do so. You are called upon to give thanks to the Lord during the most difficult of circumstances. And in so doing, you are saying, Lord, I trust you. There may even be times of, Lord, I don't like what you are doing. But I will thank you, even though I don't feel thankful, I will thank you because I trust you. And I trust your purposes for me. To continue to give thanks when the circumstances don't change or when the circumstances become worse is an act of growing faith Trusting the Lord. And then to choose to give thanks when there is no hope that your difficult circumstances will ever improve. To know that you will be living with that chronic pain, to know that you will be living in that difficult situation for a period of time that may be till the day that you die, for you to say thank you is an act of faith that is sure and steadfast, and that is a true gift from God. We are not always guaranteed that if we give thanks, that our circumstances will change. But we are guaranteed that as we give thanks, we will grow in our faith and in our trust that God is not only sovereign, but that he is good. And somewhere along the line, when you, by God's grace, choose to give thanks in every circumstance, somewhere along the line, you will find that you not only give thanks, but that you will actually be thankful. And in this, you will be living in the joy of the Lord. We sing the song, Whate'er my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. I will be still whate'er he does and follow where he guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall, and so to him I leave it all. Whate'er my God ordains is right. He never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me. I take content that he has sent. His hand can turn my griefs away, and patiently I wait his day. Whate'er my God ordains is right, though now this cup in, dark, in drinking, may bitter seem to, to my heart, to my faint heart, I take it all unshrinking. My God is true, 
Each morn a new sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart, and pain and sorrow shall depart. Whate'er my God ordains is right, here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet I am not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall, and so to him I leave it all. O dear Lord, teach us to live in the fellowship of the saints, in the presence of the Lord, and in the grace to give thanks, and grant us to live in the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.